Welcome to this week's Energy Show. We're talking about oil and gas prices this week. Specifically, we're going to talk about the concept of peak oil. Now, peak oil is the point of time in which the maximum rate of petroleum production, oil production, crude oil production is reached, after which oil production rate, oil production quantities, usually measured in like millions of barrels a, a day, after which this production quantity is going to slow down. It's going to go into terminal decline. It's kind of like a bell curve. Now, the peak oil theory is based on the observed rise, peak, fall, and eventually depletion of production in oil fields over time. And it's basically the way, the way lots and lots of minerals are. You find the, the, the mineral, you find the oil, you can produce it, you get more and more production, and then gradually you, you kind of run out of capacity. So this peak oil thing looks at cumulative production. We look at proven reserves. So these are reserves that uh, oil companies have drilled for, and they say, hey, you know, we think we can get a, you know, X billion barrels out of this oil field and that oil field, and they kind of add it all up. And then it also assumes that there's always going to be future discoveries of oil. So that's what this kind of bell curve was based on. And back in the 50s, they predicted that sometime around in the year 2000, we'd hit peak oil. And that was based on this, this curve of growing production and starting to peak off and then eventually the prediction that it would tail off. So everything was working great. The theory was like absolutely on target. Actually, oil production peaked in about 1970 and then it started to decline. So they were a little bit ahead of the time as far as when the original theory like 40 years before hit. So why was peak oil important? Well, we used to worry a lot about peak oil because even as recently as 10 years ago, the world relied primarily on oil for energy needs. And there wasn't really any good substitute. We really depended on liquid fuels. I mean, yeah, we were using a lot of coal for electricity. And we were starting to use more and more natural gas. But all, our transportation, our industries, our heating, a lot of the utilities all over the world were dependent on oil. And then any, any of the distillates from oil need diesel or gas. And I used to think that peak oil would serve as a kind of deadline. It's like there's an emergency. If, if we get to peak oil and oil production goes down, we're running out of oil, then um, oil prices are going to go up and it's going to be really, really bad for the economy. So I was hoping that, that on behalf of renewables and clean energy, wind, solar, batteries, EVs, whatever, we would really be able to deploy these um, new technologies on a large scale before we hit peak oil. Otherwise, we would look at a situation where the oil prices, you know, they were $100 10 years ago, where the oil prices would keep going up, $200 for oil, $10 a gallon for gasoline, and it would be really bad. Our industries, our, our transportation, agriculture, consumers, they depend on oil. And if, if oil prices kept going up, they were at 100 they went to 200 it would be really bad for the economy. All goods would become more expensive. Consumer spending would tighten. I mean, obviously, the consumers would be spending a lot of money on gasoline, but they wouldn't have as much disposable income for other things. It would be bad for the whole economy. Industrial profits would go down everywhere except in the oil industry, oil and gas industry. And so that was a really big kind of cliff, a deadline, where we had to do something before we hit peak oil. And in, indeed, you know, five, ten years ago, we started seeing some of these problems when gas prices started to hit really high levels um, I mean, it was close to $5 a gallon to fill up. Diesel was, was over 5 um, We had problems. People weren't spending money. It was bad for the economy. Other issues hit the economy, but we were looking at these, these energy prices as really being bad. Then what happened um, about, you know, 8, 10 years ago, we literally went off the peak oil chart. 
Um, we just kind of, whoops, we somehow have started to pump more oil, not less. And it was, it was kind of bizarre, and I'm kind of scratching my head, like, why did production go up instead of declining? And, and why did oil prices start going down instead of kind of looking at, at this oil price trend going up? Now, I'm kind of looking at this graph over here, and, you know, back in like 1982, 83, was when the, the world hit uh, an oil production level of around 53,000, 53 million barrels of oil a day. And that was kind of the low point. It's like, okay, we slowed down our pumping. And then since 1983, the world oil production has been steadily going up. So the whole concept of peak oil from the bad implications it would have on the economy and the implications would have on our energy costs kind of got derailed. And the reason why it got derailed was there really, really two big factors. The first factor is that oil supplies really increased. And, and the reason these oil supplies increased is because of innovations we had in oil production. Now, we, we've done a show about that in the past. But the big innovation was, and this was technology that was invested for years and years and years, and the government supported a lot of these uh, oil production investments, and private companies were, were really working on it, is they came up with the concept of horizontal drilling and fracking. And the two in combination allowed the oil industry to pump a lot of oil out of places where, A, they thought the fields were depleted, and B, in, in, in terms of, you know, brand new areas where they didn't think there was any oil because the oil was kind of locked up inside of rocks, but they're able actually to get a lot of oil out of those out of those areas. They would lease the land and they'd say, hey, you know, let's start drilling. And so the way this worked is, I mean, you can just imagine what horizontal drilling is. You got to drill down. I mean, heck, sometimes you drill down like a mile. It's pretty far. And then the drill would like make a right turn, turn 90 degrees and start going horizontally. And they'd find out the areas where the rock was fairly soft and there was a lot of oil kind of embedded in the rock. And they would start drilling horizontally. And, you know, you get a little bit of oil coming into the, this horizontal well. But then what they would do is they would do fracking, and they would actually put small explosives and, and pressurize that horizontal area. And they'd, they'd set off these little explosives like way, way underground horizontally over a long line. And that would fracture the rock, and once that rock was fractured, then the oil would kind of leak out all the way around these horizontal wells in, in pretty big quantities. And you'd be able to pump oil out of areas where there was basically no recoverable oil in the past. And so we did a show on this last year, and, and it really started to increase the production. Now, this isn't all around the world. What's really interesting is this horizontal drilling and fracking really happened in the U.S. Why did it happen in the U.S.? We have a very good, effective, smart, technologically advanced oil production industry. And the, 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 the uh, U.S. oil producers are saying, hey, you know, we used to pump a lot of oil. Now we're not getting a lot of oil. The easy fields are gone. But let's see if we try some new technology. We can recover it. Now, the thing about this horizontal drilling and fracking is it's more expensive than just drilling an oil straight down and, you know, you kind of get this crude oil well shooting oil up. It's more expensive. But still, when oil was $100 a barrel and you were able to, to – do some of this horizontal drilling at 40 or $45 a barrel, and that would be your production cost, and you were able to sell it, you could make a lot of money. So they really got to be successful with that. So that was the first thing. The supplies increased when it came to the whole concept of, of peak oil. And, and so more supplies, we kind of moved that curve a little bit farther to the right. And then the next thing that happened, which is also kind of bizarre, is that demand started to taper off because of cheap natural gas, because of EVs, 
because of worldwide fuel economies and also to a very large degree because of, of, of global climate, climate change concerns. I mean, you know, big countries like uh, China and Europe, they said basically we've got to cut back on our use of petroleum. And that actually started to slow down demand. The peak oil concept always assumed that we would find new sources of supply. That, that the uh, reserves of oil would go up and production, there'd always be more production. But eventually, it would be so expensive to, to find oil in these new places that, that the pricing of oil would, would be not cost-effective and they start to find substitutes. Now, but what really changed the whole concept of peak oil and why the, it's got derailed is that because of new technology, we're starting to find a lot of oil in old places. And the other thing is we're able to drill deeper and deeper and deeper. I mean, you know, you used to not be able to go five or ten miles down underground. But, you know, there's, they're finding oil in all kinds of places. And they're, they're, they're finding oil offshore. They're finding oil in the Arctic. And they're finding oil in existing oil fields that they thought were depleted. So kind of looking at the U.S. oil production. And we were talking a lot about the world production. But let's just look about the U.S. oil production. Oil production really just was going up steadily from the, the 20s, 30s, and 40s until 1970. And, and you know, that's kind of when the uh, oil embargo hit. Um, in, in 1970, our oil production kind of hit a peak. And we, were, we hit a peak of about, uh, it says 9.42 million, about 9 million barrels a day in the U.S. So that's when it peaked. And then oil production started going down. The reason is that we were drilling for oil kind of the old-fashioned way and kind of a standard way, drilling a well and, and hitting, hitting crude. And the oil fields just weren't as common. It was harder to get oil out of them. It was getting more expensive. And our production went down. Now, at the same time, the production, the, the, the production in other parts around the world continued to go up. And the demand in the world continued to go up. So what would happen? The oil prices would go up. So from 1970... To about 2006 or 2007, U.S. oil production was on a steady decline. It was just kind of going on this peak oil curve. But then what happened? Because of new technologies, and these are technologies that individual companies invested in and the government invested in, particularly fracking and horizontal drilling, oil production really started to go up pretty fast. Now, the other thing that was driving up production is oil prices were like around $100 a barrel. So anybody that could find a way, hey, we got these new production techniques that might cost 40 or $50 a barrel, we can make a lot of money. So, so oil companies started to make a lot of money by drilling, horizon, drilling deeply, drilling horizontally, and with fracking. Now, there's different costs to recover oil depending on where the oil is and, and depending on the kind of oil field. So we heard a lot over the past 10 or 20 years about tar sands. And these are tar sands that are kind of in northern, you know, subarctic areas. Canada has a lot of tar sands. And this is, these are sandy areas that have this gloppy tar in them. And the tar is basically a kind of petroleum. And if you heat that tar up and if you heat that sand up, you can mine the sand, heat it up. You're able to get some uh, liquid oil out of that, and as long as you keep that, that tar hot, you can pump it, and then you can eventually distill it and get gasoline or diesel or anything else out of it. Now, the thing about tar sands is you just can't poke a wall into the ground and, and get oil out. You have to actually um, manually mine the sand and then heat it up and then extract the oil from that. So it's an expensive way to get oil out of the ground. Very expensive. So tar sands need oil prices of $50 or more in order to kind of make it economic. I mean, if oil prices are 40 and it costs $50 to generate oil from tar sands, why bother? What happened is with fracking, the U.S. companies 
can make a profit even when oil prices are down as low as $40 a barrel with horizontal drilling and fracking. And they're getting more and more efficient with fracking, so maybe the number's going to be down to 30 So, you know, granted, when, when oil prices are at $100 a barrel and it costs $40 to a barrel to produce oil from fracking, they only make $60 a barrel. But when oil prices are 45 and it costs $40 for fracking, they can still make a profit, whereas some of these other methods are, are, are basically underwater. They're not profitable. Now, compare that to what the Middle East oil is going for. That, that oil costs the Middle East probably on the order of $20 a barrel. So, you know, basically they got a lot of liquid oil still underground. So that, that $20 barrel oil is pretty good. Now, the dilemma for a lot of the Mideast oil companies is when oil prices were $100 a barrel and it cost them $20, they were making an $80 profit on the barrel of oil. Now, the oil prices are $40 a barrel or 45 this morning. They're only making 20 or $25 a barrel. So their income into the economies in, in a lot of these oil-dependent countries, it's, it's just you know, a fraction. It's, it's a quarter or a third of what their income used to be. So it's causing some stress, but they're still able to pump a lot of oil inexpensively, and they're trying, trying to find ways to do it less expensively. But the key thing is that the supply of oil really also depends on the cost. And as long as we're able to find new oil fields and pump that oil cost-effectively, then there's, there's going to be an increase in supply. And that's certainly what's happened. I mean, boy, you look at the curve on U.S. oil production, and it's just kind of gone straight up. So one, that's one thing that happened as far as oil production, that, that we got a lot more supply. And in the U.S., we're just pumping like crazy. Now, some of these U.S. companies are having trouble because when oil is 40 or $45 a barrel, they're not making as much profit as they used to, but they're still above water. Now, the second thing happened is the demand for oil has slowed down. Now, the demand hasn't gone down, but the rate of growth has slowed down. So they initially predicted, you kind of look at how, how economies are growing and, and you know, more and more people all around the world are getting cars or, or gas scooters or they're lighting their houses and then they're going to need more and more energy and the easiest energy to get is from oil. So they expect that, that as that the world continued to grow and the economies continued to grow, we have an expanding demand for oil. The, that growth slowed. And so one of the reasons why the demand growth of oil slowed down is that uh, big countries, China's the biggest one, they made a big effort to, to have fuel-efficient cars. They've also made a huge effort to um, cut back on, on you know, all these, anything that's using gasoline or oil. I mean, I, I, I could just remember going to China 10 years ago. Everybody was driving these little gas scooters. The air was really terrible. And they're, they're using, you know, everybody who could, they'd use more and more gasoline. Gasoline was expensive, but you don't need that much for a scooter. Well, what happened is in China and a lot of other countries, they basically said, we have to be more efficient. So they started to set fuel economy standards. They started to require the use of electric vehicles. Now, these EVs aren't cars in China, or they used to not be. Now they're, now they're become. They were motorbikes. So that was the transition I, I saw over the past, you know, it was almost like in a, in a heartbeat that they went from gas motorbikes everywhere to electric motorbikes. And so now in a lot of Asia, some countries still have lots and lots of these little gas scooters. You know, last time I was in Vietnam or Singapore, they had a lot of gas scooters. But China just basically snapped their fingers and said, no more gas scooters. Everybody's going to have uh, battery motorbikes. They're silent. There's no pollution. They're not using any oil. Um, you know, much more efficient. Now, the downside is that electricity to date has come mostly from coal, but they're also transitioning to renewables. 
So we're seeing a lot of these countries that we thought, like China, clearly, India, other developing economies, that are not going to use as much oil as we used to think. And, that, and that's creating an oversupply situation. It only took 2 million barrels a day to trigger the most recent oil crash, from about $100 a barrel down to $45 a barrel. And the implications of that are almost all good. Because as we use less oil, we have less greenhouse gas, we build new industries, we create new jobs, climate isn't going to go downhill as quickly. And indeed, countries, places, countries, like places like California, have really staked these new fuels as part of their future, creating new markets, creating new industries. Now, there is some bad news. And the bad news is that, that there's some of these industries and, and companies are going to suffer as we make this transition to you know, renewable fuels and, and we use less oil. So Fitch Ratings talked about an investor death spiral. Now, that's bad for investors. It's bad for some of these companies. Obviously, we talked about how there's this death spiral for utilities as people can create their own electricity. But also, there's going to be problems in the fossil fuel industry and there may be problems in the transportation industry. Certainly in the fossil fuel industry, coal is dead. Stick a fork in it. We saw how that happened over a 10-year period as natural gas got really cheap. But you know, as renewables get really cheap too, we're going to start seeing the same thing happen for oil and natural gas. Obviously, we'll still use those fuels, but not as much. And the companies that we used to think would have long-term sustainable profits, they're just not going to be there. And it's, it's not just the utilities, but transportation companies also. Now, I think people are going to still buy cars. They're going to stop buying gas cars. They're going to buy electric cars. But until the sharing economy kicks in, we're all going to be buying a lot of cars. Bloomberg kind of looked at this bad impact on investors starting to happen in about 10 years, which puts it about seven or eight years out there. It's going to be bad for workers, but these, these workers can be retrained in new industries. All right. So what can we do? Well, be careful where you invest. The oil business is going to be like the coal business. Not sure how many years, but it's going to be inevitable. There's going to be warnings, but then things are going to change really fast. So you've got to get out at the right time. And the second thing we can do is support the future industries. That's where going to, the job growth is going to be. That's where the economic benefits are going to be. The world is going to use more energy. We're going to be using more energy for transportation with EVs, for HVAC. We're going to be powering and heating our buildings with electricity, not just with oil and gas. And developing economies are going to jump right into renewables and EVs, just like they jumped right into cell phones and skipped over wireline communications. It's happening now with solar and EVs and storage. It's going to take 20 years to complete that transition, but there's no doubt in my mind that it's going to happen. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcast.